Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode five of season two of This Osteopathic Life. This episode takes place in the week in which we have celebrated International Women's Day, which was officially on Sunday, March 8th, just a couple days ago. And I put together a brief video regarding this day and some of my own story of appreciating, admiring, and aspiring to be a strong woman, to learn from strong women, to know strong women, and to raise strong women. And I thought... It would be fitting in this theme and in March being Women's History Month to continue on that story and to dive a little deeper into the success of the incorporation of women at all levels of training, care, and leadership in osteopathic medicine. There is a documentary that went out on PBS a few years ago called The Feminine Touch, Women in Osteopathic Medicine. You should be able still to find this and I'll I work on putting the link in the show notes. And it talks about, you know, the early incorporation of women into osteopathic medicine even before women had the right to vote and ahead of women being welcomed into allopathic medicine on a relatively even footing. And I think this is an important thing to notice, to observe, and to witness the impact of as we examine the role of osteopathic medicine and the movement forward as we work into a greater incorporation of allopathic and osteopathic training as we approach the dual match for postgraduate training, as I talked about in the past, and see what we can learn and how we can benefit from this experience. And in a brief review of this documentary, two of the women that are mentioned that are highlighted in the documentary and comment in the article happen to be associated with the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship with which I'm participating over the course of this year. And the first of which is, of course, the founder, Dr. Barbara Wassley, who I've mentioned in the past, who has been a trailblazer in many ways and has brought equality and opportunity to women, women of color and physicians of color through her experience. And the other is Dr. Karen Nichols, who I had the pleasure of meeting in person for the first time just this past weekend at our most recent meeting of the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship. And what was so encouraging to me about her trajectory was hearing echoed a number of the sentiments that I have for osteopathic medicine and the views I have for its future and greatest potential and what could possibly come out of this single accreditation system and the joining of forces of allopathic and osteopathic medicine and the training of the graduates of our medical schools. 
And Dr. Nichols herself has been the first woman, excuse me, the first woman in many rooms and the first DO at many tables in leadership. And it gave me pause to consider our trajectories, you know, separated by 20 or so years, you know, looking at my graduation date and hers, and seeing where she's been and what she's done in the positions she has earned and the ways in which she has led and the enthusiasm with which she still embraces osteopathic medicine. And her talk to us was entitled Still Blazing the Trail, highlighting still being the surname of the founder of osteopathic medicine and looking ahead, recognizing that potentially in the future, there might not be necessarily a need for osteopathic medicine and allopathic medicine, but rather firm and broad embracing of the osteopathic philosophy and principles into the practice of all medicine and improving the delivery of care as we work together and learn from our strengths and bolster our weaknesses by seeing what each other are doing well and dropping the ego enough to recognize, oh, that actually might work better and would serve the care of our patients and the health of all things to a greater degree. And one thing to consider as we're looking at what has gone well with osteopathic medicine is the early and equal incorporation of women into education and training. So from early on, 1897, when there were 500 students enrolled in osteopathic medical school, 100 of them were women which is quite a high number considering at the same time once as medical education in the allopathic realm starting at Johns Hopkins became co-educational, there were three or four women included in the class and oftentimes they weren't invited into the full spectrum of the class for fear they wouldn't be able to handle the full course load. And so women for many years have been drawn to osteopathic medicine through this embracing of equality and equal access to the same rights as their male counterparts. And there were increases over the years in drop-offs generally associated with the world wars and some gender, traditional gender roles in the household. But in current times, women make up more than half of osteopathic medical students and continue to rise in the ranks of practicing osteopathic physicians. And the numbers continue to go up for medical students across the board at 50% nearly now for allopathic students as well. And what we can take away from this is the idea and the awareness by Dr. Still early on to be inclusive and to recognize that women had a seat at the table. They had something to offer, that they had adequate capacity to learn the full spectrum of the medical school teachings. And women in turn were often drawn to the whole person philosophy in the approach to care that osteopathic medicine brought to the table. So as we look ahead and look how we can learn from one another, consider are we offering equal opportunity to women in the educational experience and in training in medicine and also beyond You know, what do we have to learn from this as we step outside of the medical realm and into any other venue or aspect of business or community management 
There are multiple books and articles calling for greater incorporation of women into leadership positions, not so that they can meet the status quo of the men who have held these positions historically, but so that they can bring the uniqueness of the feminine approach into these leadership roles. There are challenges in that way because men and women are not the same. And I've touched on this before, that equal and same shouldn't be used interchangeably. And having equality and equal access and even equity in an experience doesn't mean we have to treat people exactly the same. So when we're looking to leadership positions and in an article from Leadership Central, considering that leadership means inspiring, delegation, collaboration, communication, influence, knowledge, respect, and the ability to constantly learn and change, those can be adapted by both men and women and in different ways, bringing different characteristics to the experience and see how perhaps a feminine approach might shift that for the better. In what areas where there has been a lack of success would the incorporation, the open invitation, the equal access to a woman in that position bring a different view that would be beneficial and meaningful and positive as a contribution? Thinking about characteristics of women that can make them great leaders, looking at an article from Business News Daily, looking at the value of work-life balance. And this comes up a lot in conversations, specifically because often when applying for a job, particularly a job in leadership, women are often met with the question of, well, how will you balance these responsibilities with your marriage, with your children? Are you going to get pregnant? How will that impact your work? And it's relatively rare for men to be asked the same question. You know, it's assumed that those won't negatively or in any way impact the man's experience of his work in leadership while it could significantly for a woman. And while that might be seen as a detractor for some, you know, because you're distracted by these other responsibilities in your life, you might not give enough or adequate attention or have the accessibility that we desire for this position. It could also mean that the women bring a respect and an acknowledgement of the importance of work-life balance into the arena and encourage that for all members of a corporation or of a practice and embrace the aspect of whole person care, starting with themselves and extending that through the company for both the employees and the consumers of whatever product that company might be offering. They're empathetic and that motherly instinct. And when we think about International Women's Day, it doesn't say International Mother's Day, but considering that women are mothers, not all women bear children or rear children, but that mothering instinct and capacity can be extended beyond just their offspring, but into those whom they're looking after. Making great listeners. And I'll say, I, after recently attending the Physician Moms Group conferences I shared with you a couple episodes ago, I remarked at how much listening took place. And when people were talking, there was a receptiveness. And you could tell that they weren't just listening, waiting for what they had to say, but listening to hear 
truly what you had to say and to process it and to think about it and to offer a meaningful response. Focus on teamwork. There's a collaborative nature. And to be clear, these are generalizations. Don't apply to all women, can apply to men, certainly. But looking on the whole on the way that women might typically approach a situation and engaging with others, recognizing the gifts and talents that others bring to the table and learning to play to those strengths and find ways to highlight what others can contribute. Handling crisis situations. I think out of that nurturing and mothering instinct, you know, the capacity to kind of triage and to understand and hold steady in challenging situations can translate into the leadership and business arena. Leading by example. I think this is one place that can really be highlighted because when denied leadership positions or perhaps not considered for them or not considering themselves worthy of having them, women often take up leadership roles and behaviors and tendencies just because it's the right thing to do or they have an idea and perhaps can't implement it from the top down, but from where they are, they can implement what they can with the skills and the time and the space that they have and demonstrate leadership. I think about this in Abby Wambach's book, Wolfpack, and leading from the bench. And if you can't be on the field or if that's not your role, performing as a leader from wherever you are can be truly valuable. And if we can shine a light on that, it might highlight those who could truly serve in a more highlighted way. Define the odds. And so for those women who do take up those roles, like Dr. Rossley and Dr. Nichols, who find themselves the first in many ways in a room or in a meeting or on a board or at the table and demonstrating the moxie that they have and that it takes that can get them there. In looking at the osteopathic pledge of commitment, as is found on the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine website, and I'll link to that in the show notes, I pledge to provide compassionate quality care to my patients, to partner with them to promote health, to display integrity in professionalism throughout my career, to advance the philosophy, practice, and science of osteopathic medicine, to continue lifelong learning, to support my profession with loyalty and action, word and deed, and live each day is an example of what osteopathic physicians should be. And I look to these women leaders in osteopathic medicine that I've had the pleasure and the honor of working with over the past year, and I see these embodied and to my female colleagues as well. I think it's important to note that none of this is at the exclusion of men in the field, but rather as the opportunity to see what works well when women are invited and given equal access and how we can continue to augment that for the best experience of all. Considering that step out, as Dr. Nichols advised, that osteopathic medicine can be incorporated and can be the way forward for all of medicine, philosophy and practice and Treatment techniques, as desired, can be incorporated into the practice of all medicine for the improvement of the experience of health for all patients and all physicians delivering care. And how can that be? There are opportunities 
through the single accreditation system for osteopathic recognition for any program. So for any program that has existed in the past or that is being formed or that is entering into the ACGME management can apply and be recognized for the incorporation of osteopathic philosophy and practice throughout the training for all participants, MD and DO alike. There have been graduate medical education opportunities, such as one back in May called Osteopathic Medicine for All, continuing medical education and graduate medical education, looking at how to understand osteopathic philosophy and history, osteopathic medical practice, fundamentals of structural diagnosis, fundamentals of osteopathic manipulative treatment, and treating common problems osteopathically. I hope this will become more widespread as we move fully into the single accreditation system. And these are some of the goals I hope to achieve through my work with this osteopathic life in lecturing in different circles and creating hands-on and in-person learning events and conversations, dialogues with allopathic and osteopathic physicians. And then taking that one step further and seeing how these philosophical practices can be incorporated into your own life and where they might have meaning and merit in improving your experience of health. I'd like to share now a little bit of the story as I told in my video of my own experience of women in education and in leadership and some positive learning experiences I've had recently. So for me growing up, I always saw women in positions of power in access to leadership and it simply never occurred to me that that might not be the norm you know my household my mom born in the 30s got her bachelor's degree right out of high school into college and held a job at Dow you know which wasn't typical necessarily for women in that time all my sisters had master's degrees the top 10 in my high school class nine of them were female in undergraduate, my study partners, who were all pre-medicine, were female. And it wasn't until I got to medical school and there were a number of men scoring highly on the tests and engaging in the classroom that it even dawned on me that perhaps there was equal footing in the other direction. You know, women had always performed and demonstrated as you know, the superior species in academics in my own circle. And I never felt that there was a limit, a ceiling on where I could go or what I could do or to what I had access. And that continued on even into my clinical training. I, one of my earliest clinical rotations was with a female DO plastic surgeon, which was a rare specialty in our profession, even more rare for a woman. At the time I rotated with her, she just had her third child and was still managing her full clinical load. And it was such a noteworthy rotation for me that there was a time that I thought, I think I want to be a plastic surgeon. And I explored the programs and it's a, it's a daunting course and really not necessarily that which I set out into medicine to do, but I recognized through my time with her that I truly admired everything she was doing and how she had approached this challenging and narrow specialty where so few women had gone before her with grace and you know with grit and she was a pleasure to work with she was skilled and brilliant 
And she was also kind and caring. And I simply wanted to be more like her in emulating the qualities that she brought, you know, has stuck with me throughout my training and in my practice, honoring what she represented and the work that she did. So as I moved through, I met many women in leadership positions, and I had seen them all through my life. A nun ran my church in my youth. My music directors, you know, the youth symphony when I was training were women. I had female principals and presidents of colleges. And it wasn't until I approached that attempt at leadership that I really had any pushback. And it was somewhat shocking for me. It was disturbing for me that questions are posed to me specifically for being female, also because I was a mother, that I wasn't qualified for these jobs when all other parts equal, you know, experience and past performance and clinical productivity almost didn't matter in light of these other personal pieces that related to my being female. And I entered a leadership course to try to gain skills and understanding of this and was honestly and naively, but honestly surprised by this and determined to find ways to even that balance and recognize that I'm not the only one, certainly with the same sentiment or the same experience and my participation and alignment with women and men who share the same beliefs that there is space for equality and that we can benefit from equality in this way. And the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship has been part of this. Of the 10 fellows, seven are women. As I noted, our leader, our founder is a woman. And many of our speakers have been women from various professions, both medical and otherwise. I've also been a part of the Empowering Women Physicians Group and have the experience of being coached by a female physician. And it means so much to be seen and heard by someone who understands and shares that common experience. And it's so encouraging to me that this particular program has been created bringing together a number of women physician life coaches who are essentially in competition with one another for their clients, but rather than see it as competitive, recognize that the collegiality and the collective wisdom, cooperation, and efforts can truly make things better for all. You know, all boats rise together. And that's been really encouraging for me in this experience, especially as I move forward into life coach certification myself to recognize and honor these powerful women who have been through ahead of me, who are reaching back and bringing others up and demonstrating the positive impact of women working together. I've also been reading, nearly finished, with the book Between Grit and Grace by Sasha Shillicutt. And I mentioned that in my plastic surgeon preceptor who carried both of those so well and the capacity for being formidable and feminine and lessons from women, again, who have gone before in other professions and in leadership roles. I look to other arenas and have been reading with my daughter, a computer called Catherine, honoring the experience and life of Catherine Johnson, a brilliant mathematician 
who worked for NASA and lived an amazing 101 years, passing away just recently on February 24th with her memorial held just two days before International Women's Day, an appropriate juncture between Black History Month and Women's History Month and the advent of International Women's Day. Seeing that not taking no for an answer is a possibility and bringing strengths and grace and grit into different arenas is meaningful and it benefits all. I'm also inspired by those who have yet to come or are coming up the ranks, one of whom is my own daughter, who just this past weekend, when I was out of town and missed one of our favorite local races, she picked up the slack and showed up for the one-mile race and was victorious. And beyond the victory, she was so joyful in running and embracing the experience and having the opportunity to toe the line against other girls and boys and put her best out there and was able to cross the line first. I think in the gym every day when I'm coaching about the opportunity to emulate for all the athletes and for my young female athletes in particular, the importance of honoring strength and function over appearance particularly. I'm inspired in this way by other women in sport, you know, in running and in triathlon and in CrossFit and in the many sports as we lead up into our Olympic year and seeing what we are capable of and earning our place in history. So here's to strong women. May we know them. May we be them. May we raise them. And may we recognize that nurturing and mothering capacity in all of us and how we can apply that into various arenas to nurture the best health of all things. So as we move away from International Women's Day, but still into Women's History Month, I challenge you to think about those women who have inspired you and maybe to let them know. I challenge you to honor those around you right now, you know, that are maybe in a struggle and need some encouragement and some support. For those of you women listeners, to honor the good and great in yourself that is because you are female, because you are a woman, because you hold those nurturing aspects, and to look around for those who are up and coming and how we can be an example to lead from our strengths and to honor one another in a positive way. So I thank you for your time, for your consideration. I'm working to get the podcast onto more Android-friendly apps. I thank my brother for pointing that out to me. In the meantime, you can find this on the podcast app and on iTunes, also on SoundCloud, and like, rate, and review. And join me next time for more exploration of the best health of all things. This is Dr. Millie Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.